0: Our Father and our God, how we thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled for us, the sinless Son of God. So Father, I pray that you might cause our hearts to continue to focus our attention on our, the glorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we now turn our attention to the proclamation of your word. I pray, O oh God, that you might... Open up our our minds of understanding that we might receive and welcome your truth into our lives. That you might change us more and more into the image of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So we began our service this morning with a a psalm of thanksgiving. A call to worship, a, a, a psalm of thanksgiving. My question to you this morning is... Did you wake up every morning this week joyfully giving thanks to the Father? Yes? How about this morning on your way to church? How about this morning, right now? How many are just bursting with joyful thanksgiving to the Lord? (laughs) How many feel crowd pressured to put your hand up? (laughs) You know, if I was to say to you this morning, you know, what... Tell me one thing that you're thankful for. I'm not going to put anybody in the spot. Maybe Pastor Jamie. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to put anybody in the spot. But generally, we would think about something that was good that happened in our lives. And say, well, I'm thankful for this. Or I'm thankful for that. How about asking the Apostle Paul, "What, what are you thankful for? And his answer is, I rejoice in what I have suffered for you. Now, have any of you ever, ever thought, even thought that way? I, I'm just bursting with gratitude and rejoicing joyfully at what I have to suffer for you, for someone else. Well, we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to look at it from the text in Colossians chapter one, and. and and help us to understand how we can do just that. If we understand what it means to have Christ in us, then, in fact, we can be like Paul. Now, the Colossians were in a predicament because they were coming to know Christ, and there were consequences to that in any culture where Christianity is not deemed welcome and that's virtually every culture there are costs to following christ some of them no doubt would be losing their jobs or would be demoted some of them may have had family tension because of that whenever we have convictions that collide with other people there's a cost to that interestingly paul uh, states this in verse 24 now i rejoice In what was suffered for you you say well that's that's fantastic paul that's that's impressive but it's even more impressive when we realize where he stated this from because when we get to the end of colossians we realize paul is in prison and not only is he in prison but he says at the end of colossians remember my chains He's, he's not just under some sort of house arrest or incarcerated but it appears that he's actually chained so that he can't move around freely. And he's writing a letter and says to his new brothers and sisters in Colossae, While chained, I rejoice in what was suffered for you. Now, most of us are saying, you know, that's a level of Christianity I don't know if I can ever attain to, to to be that kind of a person. Well, if if you know who you are and, and what you have, then by knowing who you are and what you believe and in whom you believe, God submits to us from his word, yes, you can be this person. Yes, you are called to be this person. And and so this morning, uh, would you, if your Bibles aren't open yet, please turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 24 to, to chapter 2, verse 5. And we're going to look at three amazing realities that are found here that, that, that should fire up our thanksgiving. Again, here we are at the, the table of the Lord this morning, the, the table of thanksgiving. So very appropriately, we're calling on our hearts through the Presence and powerful work of God in our lives because of Christ in us To be people of enduring Thanksgiving to be people who can say I I'm rejoicing and And rejoicing rejoicing means joyful glad I'm glad that I'm having to suffer for you Okay, so here, here is where we need to, to launch from. He has told us, Paul has written a lot about the glories of Christ and who Christ is. And he's going to talk about the mystery of, uh, of, uh, that has been hidden for all of these generations. Which is now open to the people of Colossae and open to us of Christ and, and the marvel of Christ. And he says, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. And I want to say to you that, th- that this is one of those verses in the Bible that's really, really difficult to, to, with great confidence, claim you understand exactly what Paul is saying. So I, I submit myself with humility to you this morning, and, and uh, I've wrestled with this for, for decades and decades and have changed my own understanding. And, and by the way, if you look up different translations, it's translated significantly different everywhere New American Standard, ESV, King James, NIV. Everybody's trying to get a grip on what, what is Paul really saying here. And it's profound. And so I'll take, a, I'll take a shot at it with you this morning. And this first issue of Thanksgiving, I think, is this. It's the profound gain to the pain of pushing back darkness. That's what Paul is thinking. The stewardship of afflictions has a purpose. There's a purpose to the afflictions with which god the father entrusts to us we live in a war zone when when we follow jesus christ we know there is a battle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness it manifests itself through various different ways and different people but but fundamentally we live in a war a war between light and darkness principalities and forces that are against god and against the things of god Against the message of salvation. The enemy does not want to lose his grip on any heart in this world. And we represent a threat to that in our Operation Hamilton, or what was it called? It's not called Operation. What's it called? Hamilton Challenge and and who's your one and all of those things that we we represent a challenge and and that means there's going to be a battle raging in our lives so we need to look at what is he actually saying here what is this suffering about let's break it down and and see how and why we can rejoice in this kind of suffering. Because that's what the the urgency is for us. That's what the challenge is for us. Paul's challenging us to live like this. I rejoice in suffering for you, and and I want you to be able to rejoice in suffering for others as well. It's suffering persecution and pain for intentionally ministering to people. I, I think that's abundantly obvious when he says, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. The afflictions that I'm enduring are fundamentally for you. Not exclusively for you, but fundamentally for you. In other words, for people who he seeks to minister to in the writing of this letter, in his own life. Paul makes a direct connection between his suffering and others benefiting for salvation. A direct connection. I think most of us know that the more that we act like Christ, the more we will be treated like Christ. And how was our Savior treated? He was treated with afflictions and scorn and persecution and trouble. Which Paul calls here Christ's afflictions. Paul is linking and connecting his afflictions to Christ's afflictions. We're going to look at what that means in a moment why why is this true well because of the battle that goes on the dark hold evil has on fallen humanity stirring up souls for rescue to the lord is going to face opposition most of you have probably faced that kind of opposition perhaps within your family your own family or friends or coworkers you witness to them and suddenly things change and not for the better in your relationship you face a struggle in my research of this text and sermon i came across an article in christianity today from october 2022 and it was a it was an article by the way I, i i'm no longer really endorsing christianity today as a bastion of Solid conservative theology just so you know that um, Inciting things people often say oh you're endorsing that. I'm not endorsing anything. I'm just citing something here and it's an article about um, a, a Charismatic movement that sprung up in the 70s. I'm not gonna bother naming it because I don't think that's super helpful, but in assessing it after all of these years 50 years um, One of the um, significant leaders within the movement writes this My generation had this idea back in the 70s that if we could make church easy, make being a Christian easy, we could get more people to say yes to Jesus. And it was enormously successful. Come as you are was enormously successful. But that wasn't supposed to mean stay as you are. We didn't train people. We made it too easy and they became consumers of church rather than disciples of Christ. Wow. When we try to understand the nature of afflictions in our walk with the Lord, there's nothing easy about Christianity. Salvation is free. It's the work of another. It's offered to us. But it's not easy. And the journey's not easy. And it's not helpful to tell people. That come to Christ. And it will be easy. Because it won't be easy. We know this. You know this. You've struggled. In life because the, the darkness has a death grip on people's lives. And it doesn't allow us to break free easily. And when Christianity becomes just a consumer of church. Then all we are is interested in the style of church. And it becomes just another commodity. And we miss out in the profoundness of Christianity. Which is Christ in Christ us the hope of glory so for whom uh, for whom is this affliction all about so i have done my own version of rearranging the verse not taking anything out of it just rearranging to try and help me understand what i think is being said here It's close to the NIV, but just a little tiny bit different. I've written it this way. Now, I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up what is lacking in regard of Christ's afflictions in my flesh for the sake of his body, which is the church. What is this all about? I see the afflictions that Paul is talking about going in two different directions. One is this, for you. Rescue is painful. Rescue is messy. Rescue is opposed So we if we are going to choose to to engage in the witness and 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 seeking to represent Jesus Christ We are going to be afflicted We are going to face persecution sticking up for each other theologically these days comes with a cost We've experienced an escalation of this in just the last few years. We're seeing uh, things change dramatically. Oh oh yes, we still have uh, on the Charter of Rights a right of religion, religious rights. But within those religious rights, there are uh, rumors and noise being made that there's a desire at the governmental level, at the legal level, to remove the right To say just anything we want to say as it relates to our holy texts. At this very moment, this morning, it is legal for me to share with you what is written in the scriptures without technically facing legal repercussion. There's a movement afoot to remove that. And the Bible will become hate speech in the not too distant future unless things dramatically change and we pray for that and that's why it's important to belong to movements like the fellowship of evangelical baptist churches of canada it's 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 not advisable to be out there as a lone group without some sort of group support because theologically sticking up for each other theologically is going to get increasingly fraught with afflictions so be it why was paul in prison he was in prison for breaking any laws he wasn't in prison for being an evil wicked person he wasn't in prison for being a threat to society he was in prison for his theological position It was for them that he was willing to go to prison. Not failing to share the truth with them, even at personal cost to himself. But there's a second part here to this afflictions that it's, it's for you, it's for others. But I believe it's also for us. You see, he says here, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and... I fill up what is lacking in regard of Christ's afflictions in my own flesh for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul says, not only am I being afflicted that because I was willing to share the truth with you, but I am being afflicted because there are things yet in my life that the Heavenly Father has deemed need to be dealt with. And so he's permitting me to share in the deficiencies of the things that Christ faced. That I might become more and more like Christ in my life. So the Lord is entrusting to you some afflictions. Not for the sake of others. But for the sake of you that ultimately is for the sake of others. For the sake of Transforming transformation that will happen in your life and for the sake of the body of Christ. We die with Christ, we were raised with Christ, and we share in the sufferings of Christ. That's what Paul teaches consistently throughout his letters and no, no differently here. And what's beautiful about this is the Lord doesn't abandon us in, his affl- in our afflictions. Paul says, I, I am facing... Uh, regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Christ identifies with us in our afflictions. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul, before he was a nice guy, was out murdering Christians? And there was a voice from heaven, Saul, Saul, in Acts chapter 9, why do you persecute me wait a minute paul was persecuting christians did you hear what jesus said jesus fully identifies with those who are being persecuted for his sake this is all part of the meaning of christ in us and that relationship that we have so so secondly that so the stewardship of the affli- of afflictions but secondly the second uh, great cause for uh, for thanksgiving is the profound responsibility of being entrusted as stewards of the word of god that's 125 128 2 and 2 4 the commission that was given that god gave to paul as the servant of the church as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, and as stewards of the word of God, I have become its servant. What servant? The church. By the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Not to buffet the word of God. Not to pick out the, how to be a Christian easy-like. But rather, what is the whole counsel of God's word? We are entrusted as stewards of the whole counsel of God's word. When churches begin to stray and edit God's word, and that is happening at an alarming rate within evangelicalism today, we have lost our bearing and understanding of our commission as pillars of the truth. That's what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, that the church is the pillar of the truth. And that's who we are. We're not a selection committee that comes to church and decides what, what we're going to say and what we're going to teach and, and, and what we're going to leave out. We're not some sort of editing committee, editing team of the Word of God. No, no, we are, we are to be those who proclaim the Word of God in its fullness. In verse 28, we proclaim Him, Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect or f- as as finished in Christ as 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 mature in Christ and we do that with God's word inviting the fullness of God's word to challenge and judge and convict and convince and confirm and encourage all of the things that God's word does as stewards of, of the word of God, of, of truth. We, de- we deliver to each other the bread of heaven, the word of God, the food that grows us. And helps us to st- be strengthened in the Lord. West Highland is called to be a, a fine spiritual dining experience in a sea of toxic information. That that's that's who this church that's what this church is on the mountain of hamilton with a sea of toxic information around us we are a fine spiritual dining experience of the bread of heaven the word of god at some um, That makes us um, ministerial, Uh, not magisterial. The church is not magisterial. The church doesn't sit in judgment of God's word. There's a great, big, huge Christian denomination that does that. That's a distinction between us and them. We're not magisterial over the word of God. We're ministerial over the word of God. We don't have authority over the head of the church, Christ, The church doesn't change Christ's meanings and understandings. Our our authority is derived from Christ who gives us his word and how he wanted us to present it. That's who we are. So we admonish. Admonish is, is go for the heart. That's what it means. Go for people's hearts, warn them with passion. From your heart, in, invest in the word of God until it grips your heart and burdens your life. Until you understand what it says and what it means and, and how profoundly important it is to you. And then, then admonish one another. Admonish people. You should never bore people with God's word. That's a sin. Admonish people. And, and teach, teaching means... Instruction in the mind, teach people in the mind. The details, the facts, the historic accuracy that our faith is embedded in. Unlike other, the other great world religions, our faith is embedded in historic reality. Not, faith, not myths and fantasies. It strengthens your faith. It gives you boldness and courage. To, to passionately proclaim to people what you believe and why you believe it, and, and that kind of passion and courage is contagious. It, it reaches into people's lives. So we we are we are to know the purpose of of of, uh, of God in Christ to, to bring people to salvation. But we're to be a finishing school for souls. Paul says, "I labor, I struggle, I." With all of the energy that Christ has given to me. I've invested all that I have. Because this is so critical for people. So important. This is life and death. I, I, I use all the energy that God is willing to give me. And, and that is a lot. To fill in what is lacking in your and our understanding. Our discipleship. That we might not be consumers of a style of church but that we might be disciples of the living Christ. That we might not miss the point and that we might not be deceived by fine sounding arguments. Do you see what he says here? Fine sounding arguments. In 38 years of ministry, pastoral ministry, I have had many people come to me with fine-sounding arguments and I'm willing to say that's a fine-sounding argument it just isn't biblical but how can you say that unless you know you the Word of God you need to know what God's Word says we are living in a moment whereby our brothers and sisters in Christ, who used to be able to withstand fine-sounding arguments, are now buying into the fine-sounding arguments of the culture around us. Things that for 2,000 years were undebatable, not just in the church, but in the culture itself. Kevin DeYoung, in an interesting article, you can listen for this. When people bring arguments concerning what used to be obvious scripture, what used to be bread and butter understanding of theology, you can tell when a group of people Are falling for the fine-sounding arguments in two ways the first is the church goes silent on controversial matters when the church stops addressing the controversies of the age that are attacking theological truth that's a bad sign a bad sign in that church and the second he calls complexification of theology big word but you you've heard it before when people are questioned on a a new understanding of scripture that suddenly allows for immoral behavior and people will say in leadership well that's a complex issue and there are many nuances to that and we need to think carefully about how we approach that. There's nothing complex about the straightforward moral teachings of the Word of God. Making it complex is an attempt to argue away the plain understanding of the Word of God. Well, there's a third, we've got to get to it. It's the profound privilege in having the hidden mystery of God disclosed to us. It says that here that this mystery that has been hidden is now uh, for the ages and generations, but has now disclosed to the saints. What's the mystery? The mystery that's been hidden at that time for about 3,800 years. I'm going by the Jewish calendar. The Jewish date today is, I think, 5784, if I'm not mistaken. They, the Jews at, in our world today believe creation happened. 5,784 years ago. And I'm not too far off of agreeing with that. But regardless, we're not going to get into an older earth, longer earth, all that stuff debate to today. But suffice it to say. That what was hidden for generations at the time Paul is writing this. Is how God. A God of justice. And a God of mercy. Was going to save sinners. Sinners that that deserved to die. Sinners that had a death sentence on them. How is God, who is a just God, who has declared that if you sin, you will surely die, but yet a merciful, gracious God, how is that God going to save sinners? It, it, it never occurred to anybody in 3,800 years that God would take on flesh Himself. A perfect, sinless God-man who would die in our place so that the justice of God would be satisfied and the mercy of God would be able to save sinners. That's the hidden mystery. And that Christ would now be in you. This, is, this was unthought of. This was not understood, this was the hidden mystery, the great prize, the mystery of God. Christ in you, being awakened to the supremacy of Christ in whom all God's treasure and wisdom and knowledge, the true wisdom of faith in Jesus Christ for reconciliation with God. On on how all of the blessings of salvation from God are granted to us through Christ. That was hidden, that was a mystery. That's the glorious, glorious mystery that he's talking about. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not only being awakened to the supremacy of Christ, but being gifted with the indwelling Christ. And by that transaction of the indwelling of Christ himself, being a living advertisement of our hope of glory. A glorified bodily existence, freed of every encumbrance forever. That's the great, glorious story of Christ in us having the living god dwelling in us tabernacling in our lives that we might be a living advertisement of the glory of god now and the glory to come for us this is why paul said i'm rejoicing even if i'm chained in prison because my rejoicing is not dependent on my circumstances or situation physically My rejoicing is based upon my circumstances and situations spiritually with God. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I'm chained now, but these chains are coming off one of these days. I don't know when. Maybe it'll be at my death, but whatever. I am a living advertisement of the eternal glory promised me through Jesus Christ. And the advertisement of that is that he's living in me right now. And I exude that to the world and so i gladly accept my afflictions if people can see christ in me the hope of glory so beloved my question only question to you today is this true of your life today is christ in you you can receive him as your lord and savior today is christ being advertised, the glory of Christ being advertised through you. Are you rejoicing, thanking God, giving thanks to God the Father? living A living advertisement of what you have. All the riches, the treasure of the riches and wisdom of God in you. I trust so. So as we go to communion this morning, this is examination time, just on this text of Scripture you know as you come to the Lord's table this is a table whereby we are recommitting our vows to the Lord of obedience to his word are you willingly accepting the afflictions that come with obeying God have you full confidence in the Word of God as you sit at this table this morning Have you full confidence in the word of God? Are you living your life as a guardian of the truth? Not wavering. And third is, are people seeing the joyful hope of Christ in you? The hope of glory, who meets with us at this table this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word and now as we celebrate your presence with us through the table of the Lord I pray now father as we partake of the bread that represents your body that was substituted for ours on that cross that we might be forgiven and have salvation I pray, O oh Lord, that we might truly remember with rejoicing and thanksgiving what you have done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, beloved, we rejoice and give thanksgiving every day of our lives because we are entrusted as stewards of transforming afflictions. Purposeful. Don't waste your afflictions. We're stewards of the Word of God, we are the pillar of truth. Don't tamper with God's Word. God means what he says in his word. And we are stewards of the living Christ, Christ in us. None of us know what's ahead of us in our future except for one thing. We know for certain of the hope of glory to those who have Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 Rejoice. God bless.